There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. For over 15 years, the Circe Apprenticeship has been equipping teachers to understand the nature and principles of classical education and showing how those principles can be brought back to any classroom or homeschool. The Circe Institute's Apprenticeship Program is an in-depth, personal teacher development community. With mentorship and community at its core, it's a program for teachers from all walks of life who want to drink deeply from the wisdom of the ages, engage in inspiring conversation with like-minded friends, and push hard towards truth, wisdom, and virtue. The mentor-apprentice relationship and the community that springs out of it is the very heart of the program. Each of the seven groups is kept small so that mentors and apprentices can truly know each other. The mentors guide the apprentices by providing assessment that blesses, accountability that strengthens, and regular discussions that nurture. The environment is welcome and safe. The community develops over shared meals and stories. The pedagogy is founded on Christian classical education forms. And the assessment is for the apprentice to flourish. These are the things that set this teacher training program apart. Do you have questions about how this apprenticeship works? Our head mentors are here to help. Each week this spring, one of them will be available online via Zoom to answer your questions about the program. So whether you have questions about the curriculum, the retreat experience, or the purpose of the program, the Circe team is here to clarify. Visit circeinstitute.org slash apprenticeship to check this week's date and time. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 62, 10 Years From Now. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. Don't burn your bridges. Once more, don't burn your bridges. Presumably, this is a proverb that was 
first spoken with no proverbial intention at all. If I had to guess, I would say this is a saying of military generals, a saying that generals at war, on expedition, would say. On the way into enemy territory, maybe even on the way to the enemy's capital city. You have to build bridges. You have to build bridges over lakes and ravines, chasms. And there's a temptation to burn the bridge after you've crossed it so that your enemy doesn't sneak up behind you. So that it's harder for your enemy to track you. At the same time, burning your bridges is also an assumption of victory, an assumption of the inevitability of victory. And you can torch your bridges because you will go home victors and you will return home from sacking the enemy's capital city. You will return home by way of major thoroughfares, not through the brush in the desert, which is the route that you're taking in so that you won't be detected. So, we will create our own path to the heart of our enemy's empire. We will sack their capital city. We will torch it to the ground, and then we will return by way of highways. So we can burn our bridges because we won't need them anymore and because we don't want our enemies to make use of them. Don't burn your bridges is a caution against thinking that way. Keeping your bridges up after you build them, after you use them, is a bit of a liability. It's a liability on two fronts. First of all, it makes it easier for you to go back. It makes retreat easier. And as it makes retreat easier, it makes it more of a possibility. It makes it more of a thing that dominates your thoughts. We could go back. Build a bridge, cross it, lose your nerve, recross the bridge, go back where you came from. Although the bridge is also a liability because the bridge can be used by people who hate you, people who want to kill you. So the temptation is understandable. You need to give yourself a reason. You need to create a necessity to go forward. And yet, don't do that. That's the saying. That's the wisdom of the ages. Don't burn your bridges. So the saying has, of course, taken on new and interesting meanings over the centuries. I find that many proverbs are like this. It's occurred to me often while reading books of proverbs, reading collections of proverbs either in print or online, that there are a number of famous sayings, the meaning of which has changed, deepened, 
been emptied over the years. Certain sayings used to be meaningful, no longer meaningful. Um, Catholics spend, Protestants save. One of those sayings that's become more or less meaningless over the years. The world does not change in perceptible ways day by day, but 500 years later, certain sayings do lose their meaning. So don't burn your bridges. Today, the saying is commonly used when someone's about to quit a job or leave town. Or you're breaking up with someone. Or maybe even getting divorced. Don't burn your bridges. What used to be about a military campaign is now about personal relationships. When you quit a job, don't torch the relationship you had with your boss just because there's something about him you don't like. And maybe that thing about him, which you don't like, you don't like enough to quit your job. And you want to quit in high style. Like Jennifer Aniston quitting her job in office space. That awful Applebee's-like restaurant that she works in flips off her boss. How about that flare? Hopefully you've seen the film. Don't burn your bridges. Why are people tempted to burn their bridges? Why are people tempted to say more and to be more aggressive than is necessary when they leave town, when they leave a place of employment? When they break up, even. Anger, of course. We are tempted to burn our bridges because we're angry, because we hate, because our hearts are possessed by anger, the vice of anger. Anger is a vice. In the same way that some of the virtues, well, there's many virtues and vices that understood one way or another could be virtues or vices either, right? Like pride. I've mentioned this before. I don't think that this is terribly controversial. To take pride in your school is only right. To take pride in your church is only right. To take pride maybe even in your family name is right. But the pride that you take in your school by picking up trash on the ground is very different than the pride you feel as a kind of self-glorification. When you look in the mirror and you think, what a handsome devil you are. That sort of pride is very different than taking pride in an institution. But anger is a vice. Pride, avarice, lust, envy, gluttony, anger, sloth. I rarely hear modern Christians talk about anger as a vice. It is almost always justified. The modern Christian approach to anger is almost always one of justification. 
I am angry. I am angry at the progressives, the liberals, the people who think they're conservatives but are really not. I'm angry at the people who have mistreated me and I'm angry at them because I care about justice. And it would be unjust to not be angry. This is the sort of conversation about anger that is most common among modern Christians. It's almost every conversation I've ever heard about anger outside an Orthodox church nave. Now, I do believe that anger can be justified. Anytime someone wants to condemn anger, there's always that guy in the room who wants to bring up Christ's purging of the temple. There are some people who's under, there are some Christians whose understanding of anger doesn't go a whole lot further than reminding everyone that Christ made a whip and drove the animals out of the temple, cleansed the temple. That's the extent, the length and breadth of their understanding of anger. Well, Jesus drove the impure money changers out of the temple. Seemed pretty angry to me. Unless they want to justify every act of anger they have against their enemies, against, their, against anyone who wrongs them. Target cashier who gives you the wrong change. I demand satisfaction. But anger is a vice. Anger is a vice, but to understand why, you have to pay close attention to people who hate. You have to study angry people to understand what anger and hatred does. The condemnation of anger or hatred in a, in a sort of blithe, universal sort of way really proves nothing. Anger is not like adultery. The wrongness of adultery can be understood right away. But the wrongness of anger requires some sort of psychological realism. Angry people are often blind. Angry people don't understand. They don't, they don't understand how foolish and unreasonable they look. Angry people, people who hate, don't or can't see themselves as others see them. Anger makes you forget yourself, not in a good way. Anger is to lose sight of the fact that you're a character in a story and not the main character. That's what self-awareness is. Self-awareness is just seeing yourself as a character in a story and not the main character. But people who hate, people who are angry, lose all sense of themselves as a character in a story. They cannot see themselves the way that others see them. The person who hates tends to think others hate too, or they hate the same things. The man who hates things, other people hate the same things that I do. The person who hates also doesn't know how obvious it is that they hate. And the person who hates, the person who is angry, they think that they've 
cloaked it well, but they haven't. And so their insults, their quote-unquote careful analysis of the hated person always seems to them quite objective, quite even-keeled, unemotional or appropriately emotional. And they don't understand that everyone sees your blindness. Everyone sees your hatred. You're not fooling anyone. So the temptation to burn your bridges is often cloaked in anger. It's, it's hidden or veiled in hatred. Burning your bridges for the man who does it, burning your bridges always seems like an act of emotional justice. I am only giving this person what they deserve and what no one else was willing to tell them. I will tell them. You, sir, are an idiot and a bumbler. You are incompetent. And you say these sorts of things and you don't understand that you're burning your bridges. You think that you finally are speaking the unvarnished truth. Don't burn your bridges, though, because you don't know what's in the future. You don't know what the future holds. You don't know the twisting paths that fortune will ask you to walk. Everything, everything can be reversed. All fortune, all luck can be reversed. Years ago, many years ago, I taught, the first school I ever taught at was a very small school. Worked on a university model. Classes only met once a week. And I taught English. I believe it was English to juniors. And because the school worked on a university model, and there was very little actual class, class time, I mean, the school had a tendency to attract students who had reasons to be away, often. So that's a bit of an obtuse description. I had a certain student once who hoped to be an Olympic skier. Uh, and I lived in North Idaho, where the skiing is quite good, and where it's winter, six months a year. And the only time when it's not skiing season is the summer when school doesn't meet. So I had this student. Um, I had this student, we'll call him Bill. And Bill was gone from school often. Even though classes only met once a week, Bill was gone on a very regular basis. Missed weeks of class in a row. 
All because he was taking these trips to, I assume, skiing competition, skiing practice. Something relating to skiing. Bill wasn't a great student because he was out so often and because I don't believe he thought much of his studies were ever going to play out in his future. He wrote a paper, a research paper, along with the rest of his class. And at the end of the year, he got a B in my class, largely because of a subpar grade he received in this research paper. His mother was livid that her son got a B. Never mind that the kid was out of class almost constantly. Never mind the fact that he really didn't think that school or academic things really had much of a role in his future because he was obviously going to be a skier. But his mother was livid that he got a B. He probably deserved a C, if we're being honest, or a D. But his mother was livid that he got a B, maybe the first B he'd ever received. She read me the riot act, contacted the administration at the school, pitched a fit all about the injustice of the whole thing. I was a young teacher. She insulted my youth. You know the type. You don't really understand. This is vindictive. You're just angry at him for being gone so much. You're jealous of him. You know. You know how the speech goes. And that was that. His mother pulled him out of school. He didn't... I don't know where he went to school. Maybe he was homeschooled for his senior year. His mother couldn't handle this B. Well, after the end of that year... I moved. I got a job offer in another city. Moved to Florida. And I taught at Florida. I taught at a, at a Christian school in Florida for several years. And after several years, I got a phone call from Bill's mother. It was a voicemail on my phone. I had not thought of this woman in years. I could scarcely remember her name, her son's last name, didn't remember. And there one day, some random Thursday afternoon, there's a voicemail and the message begins like this. Hi, Mr. Gibbs, very friendly. This is Bill's mother. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> Great, where is this going? Well, here's what happened. The school where I taught Bill had closed. It had closed a year earlier, two years earlier, I don't remember. It had closed shortly after I left. And because the school was closed, the school could not provide transcripts for Bill to get into college because he had been hauled out of the school in his junior year. 
and presumably homeschooled senior year. So he had no transcripts. I guess the skiing thing didn't pan out. So around the age of 20, it must be, he was looking to go to college, but the colleges that he wanted to go to said, we need some sort of record of what you did in high school. And the school was not around to provide those transcripts. It had ceased to exist. So Bill's mother had to call up find all of his old teachers and get them to write descriptions of the courses that they had taught Bill. So that the college would be satisfied that he had in fact received some sort of high school education. Hi, Mr. Gibbs, it's Bill's mother. <laughs> I did not return her call. I waited for another call and an email before I responded. It was a couple weeks. And in the end, when I spoke with Bill's mother, I did say, oh, so what you need is for me to do you a favor. I did her the favor. But I thought of Bill's mother for years after, every time I taught The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. Boethius, or Lady Philosophy rather, talks about the uncertainty of the future. You don't know what's coming. You don't know who you're going to need in the future. You don't know how other people's fortune will pan out over the next 10 years. So don't burn your bridges might mean this. Look at all the people in your life today. Take a survey of all the people that you know and you work with, that you go to church with. Here's a pretty fair assumption. 10 years from now, you're going to need one of these people desperately and you don't know who it is. 10 years from now, fortune will have brought someone you thought was gone from your life back into your life. And there's no telling who it is. Think of this as more or less a guarantee. Every high school senior ought to think of this. Every high school junior ought to think of this. Every Chemistry teacher ought to think of this. Ten years from now, you're going to desperately need a favor, some help, some money, some instruction, a letter of reference. You're going to need that from someone. You just don't know who it is. So it would be wise to treat everyone pretty well because you don't know who you're going to need in the future. I mean, I've spoken of fortune, fate, up until this point, but if you'd prefer to think of it in terms of sanctification, it might be this. It might be that God says, I will bring people you mistreat back into your life just to teach you that no man knows what's coming next. 
Be careful who you tell off. God has a funny way. Fortune has a funny way. However you want to look at it, God will bring those people back to you. You think you're done with them. You're wrong. You will need them again. So consider this every day you wake up and go to work. Someday the employee will be the boss. Someday the boss will be the employee. It is not inconceivable to me that I will be asking one of my students for a job 10 years from now. Not unbelievable at all. And if they have any imagination whatsoever, they will know that 10 years from now, they might be asking me for a job. You might think when you're walking out of high school graduation, well, I'm done with those people. Man, God will see to it that you're wrong on that account. When you leave a certain place of employment, you might be thinking, well, done with those people. Don't say it too loud. You will see them again. Treat them in such a way that when you meet them again, that when those people suddenly begin appearing in your life, you have nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, it'll happen like the doors opening on a game show. Let's see what's behind the curtains on stage B over here. Who was the person that you were going to need all along? Oh, it was your high school chemistry teacher. There he is, finally revealed. That was the person that you knew 10 years ago that you need today. Huh. And it, it'll happen almost with that kind of chance feeling that when you finally figure out who it was that you were fated to need 10 years later, that part of you wants to say, I should have known. Part of you wants to say, I felt it long ago. But then there's another part of you that says, I never saw it coming. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.